It's been said that the difference between a man who has children and a father is that a man who has children simply gives his genes, but a father gives his life. Sacrifice. It's the difference. Faithful fathers are sacrificial. I mean, they give up in order to bless. They give all in order to bless. To be a faithful father means that I love, and not the way that Hallmark tells me to love, as long as my heart is in it, I'm okay. No, I love the way the gospel teaches me to love. To love the way the gospel teaches me to love means that I give myself wholeheartedly, without reservation, simply to bless my wife, my children, and others. That's being a faithful father. It is sacrifice. And the power of sacrifice for our families cannot be ever underestimated. We live in a day and time where fathers may be present, but their sacrifice is small. And their influence on their children is almost non-existent. But for followers of Jesus today, we know that God has called us to a higher way of living, a better way of life. And dads, you and I must be sacrificial because that's what the gospel teaches us. First John, not our text today, First John chapter 4. By this we know love. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he gave his son to be the payment price for our sin. That is sacrifice. The love of our Heavenly Father for us sent Jesus on a sacrificial mission to teach us the power of sacrifice as his followers. 1 John 4, 10, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son, gave his son to be the payment price for our sin. The very next verse, brethren, sistren, oh, friends. If God has loved us in this way, we must also love one another in the same way. Here is the message for fathers today, even though the message is not really about fathers. The message for us fathers today is to understand and live daily by the power of sacrifice that God has shown us in the person of Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus... Your resource is Christ himself to equip you to live and love sacrificially for your children. Fathers, if you believe that the family is just um, the universe and you are the center of that universe and your wife and your children exist for your pleasure, please know you're doing it wrong. We as fathers must reverse that curse and live with absolute 
abandoned sacrificial giving for our families. Now, why do I say that? Well, because the power of sacrifice that we celebrate this morning. If sacrifice is the key word for how we are to love, we learn that key word from Jesus himself. The key word for Jesus leaving heaven's throne, being born in a manger in a stable, fully God, yet become flesh and bone. What was the reason for that great trajectory of eternity? It was sacrifice. Jesus, who shrunk his deity in the skin of a little baby and walked in the sandals of humanity, Jesus, who lived perfectly without blemish or fault, absolutely pure morally, perfectly right in the sight of God, this Jesus went to a cross to die, to show us the power of sacrifice. He died personally for sinners and purposely for sinners and particularly for you and me who have embraced him as Savior and King. Jesus came to sacrifice. So in our text this morning, we're skipping over uh, or taking a break from Joel, uh, this journey of being restored that we've been on through the book of Joel. Last week, uh, next week is our last week uh, in the book of Joel. But today, I want to encourage you to think of this one verse found in John's gospel, John chapter 1, verse 29. Now, John 1, 29, we see John the Baptist preaching. Now, uh, kind of catch you up. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 is what is known as the prologue to John's gospel. And in that prologue, we hear of Jesus, who is the Word, who was in the beginning with God and uh, was co-creator as God, Jesus, who um, is uh, uh, with God and is God, uh, made everything as God, Jesus, uh, who was light itself and, and light that came into the world and light that gives life to every person, Jesus, who is God, became, uh, uh, came among us to display this glory of himself and glory of the Godhead and glory of love and life. And, and as that light, he shines in the darkness and no amount of darkness could ever overwhelm or overcome him. Not death, not sin, not the grave, not hell itself. No darkness could ever overwhelm Jesus. We hear in John 1, 1 through 18 that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him, but to as many as believed on him, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God, become part of God's family, that Jesus, who is God, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, and that no one has revealed God at any time except Jesus, the great revealer of who God is. Jesus is how we know God. But there was also another guy in the prologue of John's gospel. 
and that is John the Baptist. And we hear about John the Baptist. He was a witness to the light. He wasn't the light. Jesus is the light. But he was sent by God to bear witness to Jesus. And that was his mission. And that was his ministry. He, he was like a voice crying in the wilderness, the Scripture says. Um, and he's there to make straight the way of the Lord, to prepare the pathway for you and me and sinners of every stripe to see Jesus in all of his glory. And John the Baptist came and he fulfilled his mission and his ministry. And he was proclaiming and preaching Jesus. And he was preaching Jesus as the rescuer. He said in Scripture, John the Baptist said, there is one who is coming after me whose sandal strap I am unworthy to loose. And on that day, in John 1, verse 29, on that day, as John the Baptist is preaching in the wilderness, and he sees Jesus, the Word, the light, Jesus, the living God. He sees Jesus coming out of, uh, down from the Judean hillside, and he points his finger at Jesus, and he says these words, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, why did John the Baptist pick this imagery of the Lamb of God? Because the Lamb of God is a picture of sacrifice, and it's the power of Christ's sacrifice that makes us fit for God's family. It is the power of Christ's sacrifice that itself makes us fit for God's family. There's no other way for us to be fit for God's family except for Jesus, the Lamb of God, to take away your sin and mine. And that's what we celebrate today. The power of Christ's sacrifice overwhelms the power of my sin. Lamb of God is a picture of sin being placed upon Jesus. And Jesus killing the power of sin. It is the picture of Jesus taking sin and casting sin itself and its power into the outer darkness. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away, gains victory over, overwhelms, overpowers sin itself. How did Jesus do this? And Jesus overwhelmed the power of sin through the power of of sacrifice. And Jesus died for sinners. He was the Lamb of God. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God. He was the pure sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God. He is God who became a lamb, led to the slaughter, so that we who have faith in Jesus might be made fit for God's family. Jesus himself died for our sin. He died on a cross for our sin, for my sin. Oh, what a beautiful picture. I, I, I just don't know if we, we treat it as common because we talk about it all the time as followers of Christ and as we gather at First Norway. This is one of the themes of our church is that Jesus died for our sin. Jesus died for me, a sinner. It's a theme of who we are. So we talk about it. I talk about it all the time. And, and, and with the um, constant communication of Jesus dying for my sin upon a cross, it, it can become commonplace. It's so commonplace that we think, well, that's, that's good, but we, we forget to treat it as the big deal that it is. 
Um, all of us have sinned. Every person here, you realize, right? Okay, so I'm not, I'm not telling you don't, something you don't know. You have sinned. I have sinned. Can, can I tell you something? I was saved. I, I became a follower of Jesus at the age of 11. And uh, uh, on my social media uh, platforms, I wish my dad a happy birthday. I had a picture. I have a picture of me being baptized by, by my dad, who was my pastor and my dad. My dad led me to faith in Jesus Christ at the age of 11. He baptized me as a believer. But I was 11. So I, I, want, I want you to understand that I have sinned greater since I became a follower of Jesus than before I was a follower of Jesus. Does that make sense? I'm 54 years old. I also have a granddaughter. Her name is Nora. I'm 54 years old. And for 43 years, almost 44 years, I have lived as a follower of Jesus. And I have sinned more, and I've sinned more horrifically since I've been a follower of Jesus than when I wasn't a follower of Jesus. Why do I share that with you? Not to make you feel bad or encourage you. I don't know. I, I want you to understand that the sin I did before I became a follower of Jesus and the sin that I've done since I became a follower of Jesus is all covered by the blood of Jesus. Amen. The, the very power of sin to condemn me to judgment has been overpowered by the forgiveness that Jesus in his sacrifice has made for me. You see, my sin isn't forgiven because I'm good. My sin isn't forgiven because I do better. My sin isn't forgiven because I'm a preacher or a Baptist or whatever. My sin is forgiven only because of one thing, and it's not dependent upon what I do. My sin is forgiven because... 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on my behalf so that I, Eric Thomas, might become the righteousness of God in him, so that I might be covered in the righteousness of Christ. The reason, the reason I am forgiven is because Jesus died for me, and I placed my life into the hands of the nail-pierced hands of Jesus Christ, and he took hold of me, and he covered me in God's grace, and he brought me God's mercy, and he said, now you belong to me. And sin's power has been overwhelmed. That's the power of Christ's sacrifice. It overwhelms the power of our sin. The power of Christ's sacrifice means that we should behold the Lamb of God who takes away my sin. Behold Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. The power of his sacrifice overcomes the power of my sin, the power of his sacrifice does more. The power of Christ's sacrifice not only makes, uh, uh, overcomes the power of my sin, but the power of Christ's sacrifice makes me right with God. The barrier between you and God, the barrier between me and God is my sin. The barrier between you and God is your sin. 
Sin has separated us from our God. And we were wired to long for fellowship with our God, to connect with our Creator. Every person here is wired. I mean, in the core of who you are, you long to connect with your Creator. That's the way we are made. That's the wiring of our soul. But sin has created a problem for us. It has disconnected us from our Creator. In in Romans chapter 5, and I'm going to read this from a different translation because it it, uh, communicates in a better way. Romans chapter 5, verse 18, the Apostle Paul is talking about how um, our sin has, has brought problems for us. He says, Adam's sin brought condemnation upon everyone. That's Romans 5.18. Adam's sin brought condemnation upon everyone. Now, again, you know this story, right? Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you know the story. But let me tell you anyway, okay? Genesis 1, 2, and 3 tells the story of creation, including the creation of the fish and the birds and the clouds and the sky and the mountains and the valleys, But most significantly, it talks about how humanity was created. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says that God made man in his own image, in his his own image and likeness. He created them, male and female, he created them. It's the creation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It's creation of humanity. And being made in the image of God tells us, and what that means in big theology Uh, books and volumes, it tells us that we were made to want to connect with our Creator. That's what made in God's image means. It means that we have the stamp of God's value and worth upon us. Every person is made in His image and therefore is valuable and and, and treasured by God. But for us as, as people, as human beings, being made in God's image means that we yearn for God. Okay, so that's how Adam and Eve were created. That's how, that, that, that's how we're created. We were made to want to connect with God, our creator. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we see Adam and Eve as the progenitors of all humanity. We see Adam and Eve who uh, are, are experiencing uh, fellowship with God and intimacy with God and, and joy in the presence of God the way we were intended to be. But in Genesis chapter 3, you know the story, you've seen it, you've heard it. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve chose sin. They chose to do the very thing God told them not to do. They chose sin. And the result of that sin in the Garden of Eden by Adam and Eve is we were all sent on a spiraling uh, 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 cyclone of despair so that all of us are living empty and incomplete lives. Not only is it Adam's sin, but when Paul talks about Adam's sin, he's talking about your sin and mine as well. He's talking about because you've sinned, you, 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 and, and I don't, you. I know I'm supposed to say we and me, and I have too, but you. Don't, don't mistake, you have sinned. And that sin is a result of the condemnation of Adam, but it's also a, uh, a, a, a cause for our separation from God. It is you are accountable. And I am accountable because I've sinned. 
Now, that creates all kinds of dilemma for us so that we're separated from God. We have no hope. We have no purpose. We have no meaning. The reason people act crazy who don't know Jesus is because they don't know Jesus. I mean, they're looking for something to satisfy the yearning of their soul. Instead of screaming at them and calling them all kinds of names, believer, beloved, please, let's have some sympathy for them. They're hopeless. And they'll remain hopeless until they find the forgiveness that God offers through the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? So, what did Jesus do? When Jesus saw us in our sin, when Jesus looked through the corridor of time and saw you in your sin, Jesus said, I've got this. Okay? Romans 5.18. Adam's sin brought condemnation upon upon everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness makes people right with God and gives them life. What is Christ's one act of righteousness? It is that he who is perfect in every way, the pure Lamb of God, He came to take away the sin of the world. And how did He take away the sin of the world? Through His own death on the cross. It is the death of Christ that offers me forgiveness and life. And just think about that great transaction of God's grace. We don't deserve, we have not earned But God readily gives his love and his mercy and his grace to sinners like you and me when we come to Christ by faith and see that Jesus died in my place for my sin, to remove my sin far from me, to bring me into God's family. It is the sacrifice of Christ. That makes us fit for God's family. And it's, it's a fitness that is not built or bound by how I behave. My fitness for God's family has nothing to do with how Eric Thomas behaves. Listen, my fitness for God's family is bound by how Jesus Christ perfectly behaved. He is the Lamb of God. He is the perfect one. And he perfectly fulfilled every aspect of God's righteousness so that I might, through faith in him, receive Christ's righteousness as my own. And Jesus took my wickedness upon himself when he hung upon a cross and he died. So today, friends, listen, the power of Christ's sacrifice is what makes us fit For God's family, because it makes us right with God, and that rightness with God is based upon what Jesus has done, not based upon what I do or haven't done or will do. It's based only upon what Jesus has done. So it takes away anything that we might have to boast about. It's not because you're sitting in a church on Father's Day. It's not because you read your Bible every day. It's not because you pray. It's not because you have a good moral code of conduct. It's not because you vote Republican or Democrat or or Independent. It is none of those things that make us right with God. Only one thing makes us right with God. Only one thing. And that is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. The power of Christ's sacrifice overwhelms the power of our sin. The power of Christ's sacrifice makes us right with God. And the power of Christ's sacrifice removes our condemnation. 
Have you ever felt guilty? Can I tell you, I feel guilty because I am. You know what I'm talking about? I steal a piece of bubble gum, I feel guilty because I am. You ever feel guilty? We feel guilty because we have, and there are, here's the way sin works, by the way, if you didn't know, here's the way sin works. Sin works like this. I sin over here, okay? I do something that is displeasing to God, disobedience to Him. And it may be a small thing, may not be a big thing at all, but, but it's here, okay? So there's my sin. And so I'm going along, I'm coming to church, I'm singing my songs of praise and reading my Bible every day, but this sin is still here. And, I, and, 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 and it's, it's still there. And so I'm over here, and, and then I start feeling guilty. And it may not be guilt that I feel from this sin. It's just guilt that I'm in the presence of God, and I know there is sin. It's that sense of condemnation that I have. And friends, there, isn't, there, there aren't enough hymns or Psalms or spiritual songs that we can sing to one another that can overcome the guilt that this little sin has created in our soul. But God can and God has through the power of Christ's sacrifice. Listen, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now. I love, the, I, I love the language. I, I really do. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who are walking not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law couldn't do, because it is weak in the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. And Jesus condemned sin in his flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law, which I have not kept righteously, but the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in you and me who are walking not according to flesh, but according to spirit. What that means is because of Jesus, my sin is covered. Because of Jesus, my guilt is vanquished. Because of Jesus, no more condemnation now or ever. This is what God has done for us in Christ. And today, and please don't, don't misunderstand this. I always feel like I need to give a caveat when I start talking about now, no, and no condemnation. There are consequences for our sin, even as a follower of Jesus, Right? And in many ways, and I've shared this before, in many ways, I walk with a limp in my soul because of the sin that I've done as a follower of Jesus. Right? Does that make sense? You know what I'm talking about. No condemnation doesn't mean there are no consequences. There are consequences for the sin that we choose, especially when we are hard-hearted and rebellious to the core as followers of Jesus. And the more hard-hearted and rebellious to the core that we are as followers of Jesus, the more we are pummeled by God's righteousness and holiness because he loves us. The power of Christ's sacrifice means that, yes, there may be consequences for my sinful choices, but there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. I'm still fit for God's family. I got to tell you, man, that... 
that relieves me. That, that even though by every human term I am unfit for God's family. The power of Christ's sacrifice for me has made me right with God and set me free from condemnation so that I am fit for God's family, and so are you. And that's what we celebrate today. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, make no mistake, that's what we're celebrating. If you have, if you have abandoned your life into the hands of Jesus, if you've taken your past, your present, and your future and washed them in the shed blood of Christ who died for you and was raised from the dead, if you have placed your faith in Jesus and turned to Him and trusted in Him, make no mistake. We celebrate that the power of sin has been overcome by the power of sacrifice, that, that, that we are made right with God because of Christ's sacrifice, and that there is therefore now no condemnation. Behold the Lamb of God who has taken away your sin and mine and celebrate today. So we do communion. This is the Lord's Supper. The reason we do communion is because Jesus commanded that we celebrate communion together so that we might continue to remember that the foundation of our life in the family of God is not our action, not our effort, not our religion, but it's one thing. It is Jesus who died and rose again and our faith in Him. So this morning, as we come down to the end of this message, I I just, I just want to challenge you. I just want to challenge you. I just want to challenge you. As Christ has loved us, then let's celebrate that love. And as Christ has loved us, let's love one another. Be kind to one another, tender hearted forgiving one another even as God in Christ also forgave you and live a life of love as dearly loved children. And live this life of love in the way that Christ has loved us just as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. See, the power of Christ's sacrifice means that we live sacrificially. So today, as we take the elements of communion today, not only celebrate what Christ's sacrifice means to you, but also commit to live sacrificially, loving others, following Christ's example. In a minute, we're going to take uh, communion, and our deacons are going to come. They're going to stand behind the tables and they're going to dismiss you by each row to come and take the elements. If you're a follower of Jesus and, and part of God's family, especially part of this family of faith called First Norfolk, I invite you to come if your heart is ready and your mind is ready uh, to worship the Lord in this way. There's nothing magical about these elements. They're symbolic of Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. They're, they're, they're a picture of the atonement, the forgiveness that we've received through Christ. Uh, two elements of communion. There's the bread and there's the cup and juice. And the bread is a picture of Christ's body. The, the juice is a picture of his blood. And, 
And, and so in a moment, you're going to be dismissed. You're going to come and you're going to take the elements. And, and as you take them, we take them back to your seat or maybe come as a family and pray at the altar, or pray to the side or uh, however you want to do it. But, but contemplate, meditate, focus on Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God and adore Him and worship Him and honor Him in these moments. And then after everybody's been served, I'll lead us to take the bread and take the cup, eat and drink. And uh, then we'll, we'll close with a song. But please know, as Baptists, you know, we don't get up and sit down and kneel and all those type things. We're not very liturgical, but this is a, uh, for those who, for whom Jesus is king, this meal is kind of the common meal that we share among all denominations. It, it, is, it is you and me together as a family of faith, uh, physically and visibly celebrating Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you so much for your great grace and your great love and and again today, and every time I take communion, I'm just so amazed at how much you've loved me, unworthy as I am. And I thank you for your mercy, and I thank you for your grace. I pray that I would never lose sight of what Christ's sacrifice means, and that I might always dwell in the and the humility of that grace. And now as our family of faith takes this meal together, I pray, oh God, that you would spark in our hearts a courageous conviction to worship you, but also to live following your example. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Gentlemen. on the night that Jesus was arrested he was making his way to the cross to die for sinners like you and me he met with his disciples and in the upper room the scripture says in John 13 that Jesus having loved his own he loved them to the very end his sacrifice was full throttle And he washed his disciples' feet. And he said, do you know what I've done for you? And they said, oh, no. Jesus said, you call me teacher and you say, well, for so I am. If I, being your teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Live in service and sacrifice for one another. And then Jesus took the bread, he said, and he broke it and he passed it to his disciples. So right now on one side of this contraption, you have a little wafer and just peel back that top. Take the wafer in your hand. Again, this is a picture of Jesus, the bread of life. He said, I am the bread of from heaven, he who believes in me shall never hunger. He who comes to me shall never thirst again. 
Jesus is the bread of life. And Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he passed it to his disciples. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take it. After he passed the bread, Scripture says that he took the cup and he passed it. So right now, just on the other side, there's that little juice in there. Just peel back that top. And Jesus took the cup and he said, he held it up and he said, this is my blood the cup of the new covenant, my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sin. Drink. You know, as we close, I know that even Jesus found a sacrificial life challenging. After all, the sacrifice that Jesus made is different than the sacrifice that we make. Dads, it's different than the sacrifice that we make. And Jesus died on a cross. He was tortured and killed so that we might have life. But I know that for you and for me, as fathers and as followers of Christ, it can be challenging to live sacrificially to love sacrificially. So what do you do in those moments? Again, I challenge you, behold the Lamb of God. In Hebrews chapter 12, in Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to listen to what the writer of Hebrews said. And he's just gone through this great rendition of those who have suffered for the cause of Christ. And then he says in Hebrews 12, beginning verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance, faithfulness, the race that has been set before us, casting aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, how do we do that? Verse 2. And set your gaze upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured faithfulness, endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was faithful in sacrifice because he saw with joy even through the pain of the cross. What was the joy that was before him? It was the pleasure of his heavenly Father, and it was the rescue of sinners like you and me. So fathers and friends and followers of Christ, can I challenge you? As Christ has challenged me today, behold the Lamb of God. We can, we must be faithful in our sacrificial living and loving. And we can be faithful as we set our gaze upon Jesus and celebrate 
a life for his pleasure and sacrifice for the blessing of those whom we love and those who are around us for the pleasure of our Heavenly Father. Would you bow your heads with me? Oh God in heaven, thank you so much that today we behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as we close singing songs of praise, may we celebrate your great love. This love that sent Jesus on a rescue mission to sinners like me. May we celebrate the magnificence of your grace, the majesty of your mercy. May we live humbled by a love that is beyond bounds of our recognition, except when we see Jesus who died for us and rose again. Now be glorified as we worship you in these next few moments and as we sing about you, our great King. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray.